You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey everyone, today on the show we talk about some of the problems the Giants are having on offense and ways they can try to move the ball on the Atlanta defense. We also talk about if the Giants defense has enough to match up with Atlanta's offense. Also, one more note, we recorded this before the Patrick Omame news came out, so he has been benched. Spencer Pulley is going to come in at center. They're going to move John Greco to guard. Obviously, that's a big change. That doesn't change the offensive line conversation we have on this episode too much, but uh, it's just definitely something to note that it's not included in the episode because it happened a little after we recorded. So thanks, and let's get to it. Hello, and welcome to the Big Blue View podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined as always by Chris Flum, and we're here to break down the Monday night football matchup between the New York Giants and the Atlanta Falcons. Chris, how are you feeling about watching this team in prime time once again? Could we do it in not prime time? I don't know. I. The way the Giants have been playing this year and last year, I'm not, not looking forward to losing sleep and watching them at the same time. But, you know, it is what it is. Second week in a row, they're in primetime. Going to be honest, this like Thursday night to Monday night schedule has completely thrown me off this week. I have no idea when I'm supposed to be doing what. <laughs> that is a weird interval. You know, we get into our routines, we get into the weekly grind, you know, you've got certain things to do on certain days, and then there's a, what, a 10-day gap? I mean, that's just weird. Yeah, everything was rushed going into the Thursday game. I felt like I had to get everything out in, like, a two-day span, and now I feel like there's just been, like, a month between the things (laughs) I've written this week, but... Here we go. We're going to be getting to a game on Monday night. I guess before we get into the actual game, we'll talk about some news that happened. I guess the biggest, if we really want to consider it that, I honestly don't know if I do, uh, is the Giants signed Corey Coleman to the practice squad, a former first round pick of the Cleveland Browns been on like four teams already this year so yeah only three only three only three okay so this is the Browns the Bills and the Patriots okay so this is his fourth not sure if if that makes much of a difference so he's on the practice squad not even the active roster yet There was like a lot of commotion about what Coleman's role in the offense could be, and he's not even really on the team yet. He's a guy that had some potential coming out of college. He came out of Baylor. Uh, That was one of those really spread Big 12 offenses, and a a lot of his numbers were just 
volume coming out of there. He has not shown a consistent ability to get open or catch, which if you're a wide receiver, those two things slightly important. Just a bit, just a bit. He is an absolutely ridiculous athlete. So he's going to keep, he's going to get chances. You know, it's a really low low to no risk signing and who knows maybe getting to see Odell Beckham and Sterling Shepard practice getting to see how they go about their craft maybe it'll pay off which is all you can say about it at this point definitely agree it's a very low risk signing especially to the practice squad but just don't get your hopes up that this is going to amount to anything i shared on twitter when this move came out per airyards.com i have just a chart of Corey coleman's catch rate by his depth of target and it is well below league average at just about every point it's just a huge graph that that goes by depth of target from negative five all the way to 50 the only parts where he's above average is where it gets to like 43 yards past the line of scrimmage which is super deep and almost no passes ever happen there so i think we've already spent too long talking about Corey coleman because it's just i mean there's there's, that's all it's probably not going to bring anything so we can move on a little bit of more uh consequential news it appears that Evan Ingram and Rhett Ellison are back, so won't have Scott Simonson be the starting tight end, which is a good thing. And especially with wide receiver being, you know, what it is, Cody Latimer put on IR, the depth behind Odell Beckham and Sterling Shepard being Jewel Davis and Russell Russell Shepard. I think that's what it is now. It's it's occasionally tough to keep track with the way they tinker and shuffle around the back into the roster but either way it's good to have evan ingram back so they can maybe play that pseudo 11 personnel with ingram and ellison both on the field yeah absolutely just because of the players they've had available now giants have been in 11 personnel which is three wide receivers 67 percent of the time Uh, that's above the 63% league average. They've only been in 12 personnel, which is two tight ends, 23% of the time. That's still above average, but I I think they wanted to be in that a little more. And that's not just to run the ball. That's also to pass because like we said, Ingram can be out in the slot. He can be out wide. So that gives you a de facto third wide receiver. You can still give a heavy look. That helps play action when opposing defenses think you're going to go heavy to run the ball and you end up throwing. And it also presents a uh, athleticism mismatch because then you wind up getting a guy who runs a 4-4-40 matched up on a linebacker who is probably considerably slower or a safety who is considerably smaller. So that that's one of the things I like about the 12 personnel package. Which it's generally a very efficient personnel package. That's one thing the Giants will probably try to use more of here. And now that they can, when Ingram was out, there was only so much they could do. 
now with Ingram and Ellison looking like they're going to be coming back, it'll be good. And that's something the Giants can try to exploit here as they head down to Atlanta on Monday night. These two teams, a little disappointing in different ways, I would say. The Giants are just... Yeah. I mean, we've we've talked about the Probably. Giants, but the Falcons only two and four. They've they've had some close losses. They lost by six to Philly the first week. They lost to New Orleans in overtime in week three. They lost by one to Cincinnati in week four. The only like real loss they had was to Pittsburgh in week five, and they just kind of got blown out there. They won a shootout against Tampa Bay last week, but this is kind of. This is like a Falcons team to the extreme. Last year, when a lot of people were blaming their offense for not being great, the offense was actually pretty good, and the defense was really what wasn't great and what was kind of bringing them down and stopping them from being one of the best teams in the league. And this year, it's that to the extremes. The offense is super good. They're 11th in offensive DOA. They're 6th in passing DVOA. But the defense is 27th in defensive DVOA. They are 31st in yards allowed per drive and 32nd in points allowed per drive. And that's only gotten worse with some of the defensive injuries they've had. Keanu Neal is out. Deion Jones is out. And those are two of the players in the middle of the defense who they were really hoping were going to step up and play big parts. And now that middle of the field is wide open. And when we look at when the Giants have the ball, that's something they should try to take advantage of. Yeah, and also one of the things that uh, Next Gen Stats revealed is that the Falcons can't tackle. They're not the worst tackling team in the league, but they're close. I believe they were the fifth worst tackling team. They miss an on average about somewhere between 10 and 11 tackles a game. And the Giants have probably the hardest player to tackle in the league right now in Saquon Barkley. So that's also something that that will play a role. Yeah, so per Sports Info Solutions charting on Football Outsiders here, Atlanta has the sixth highest percentage of plays with a broken tackle on defense. So yeah, going against Saquon Barkley is going to be quite a test for this defense. Atlanta is 26th in DVOA against running backs in the passing game, and that's one place we can go now to kind of talk about and when we look at kind of how this offense can improve I'll have a piece on that out hopefully by the time this podcast is up Uh, I know uh, you did the defense earlier in the week and one of my things is giving Barkley more touches in the passing game on early downs and getting him into space more Uh, you look at Barkley's targets He is second on the team with 16 first down targets, but per Sports Info Solutions, only 12 of those have been catchable. And on those 16 targets, the combined air yards is negative one. So Barkley is, he's getting targeted behind the line often, and that's 
more work to gain yards. That's very simple logic. If you're getting thrown behind the line, you have to do a lot more just to gain a positive yard. So if they can get Barkley out into space more, a little more routes, some more routes into the open field, into the middle of the field, run an angle route or or something where Barkley is the actual read and not just the check down, and you force these Atlanta defenders to make a tackle when they've already been struggling to make tackles, uh, and that's something that's going to be moving the chains, and you can get some chunk plays just going that way. It's the same logic as with Evan Ingram. Attack the middle of, of the field with somebody who is going to be a mismatch, just one way or the other. And except for a couple inches in height, Ingram and Barkley are a very similar mismatch. Right. And one thing you can do there with Ingram is is run him up the seam. Eli has only thrown five seam routes this season per Sports Info Solutions, and that is not a lot. He was actually pretty good at, at seam routes last year, and that's one way to get more of a, a deep shot without really developing something out wide to happen down the field. You release a tight end like Ingram up the seam, and those throws are going to come you know, 12, 15 yards down the field just by design. And that's not something you have to work on a lot to get open. So that's another place the Giants can use maybe some, some big plays down there, down the seam. It's also a way to attack some of these soft zone coverages, which teams have been using to constrict down on Odell Beckham, who is not getting released down the field nearly as much as he should be, or Sterling Shepard, who is, oddly enough, seems to be getting more downfield routes, or at least more downfield targets than anyone else right now. Yeah, and I think Shepard, you could you can try to get a little more involved. The problem with the Falcons right now is around the slot area, they're 27th in DVOA against other wide receivers. The Giants, as we talked about, don't really have other wide receivers. <laughs> uh, they have Beckham and Shepard. Uh, Atlanta is 19th against number two wide receivers by DVOA, 21st against number ones. So that's another mismatch, and you would hope you figure out some ways to exploit those corners and this defense that has had a lot of trouble at stopping opposing offenses this year. They're 26th in big play rate allowed, so... I mean, we did see that against Carolina. Carolina was one of the worst defenses in big play rate allowed, and the Giants were able to go down the field. So hopefully they have a Carolina-like game plan going into Atlanta. Yeah, and well, we're basically dancing around the big problem, and that is, or I should say the big question, and that is which... Giants offense are we going to see? Are we going to see the one like in Carolina and to a lesser extent Jacksonville and Houston where they actually do look down the field? It's not 90% checkdowns and bubble screens and three-yard crossing routes where they actually throw the ball more than – or yeah, throw the ball more than about five yards down the field in the air. Or are we going to see a game plan like against Dallas – or New Orleans, or Philly, where they seemingly recoiled in horror of the game tape of Eli throwing the ball down the field and stuck with a design that gets Saquon Barkley the ball at 
negative three yards or has Odell Beckham running most of his routes to the two-yard line. That's going to be the constant battle we try to figure out. We can always hope for the downfield throws. It feels like they know they need to throw downfield more, but we just... They also don't want to. (laughs) It's weird. Everyone you talk to about this offense... Pat Shermer goes, I'm calling plays to get downfield. Eli Manning says, yeah, I'm, I'm trying. I would love to throw downfield. And then in practice, it just doesn't happen. If they can't do that against Atlanta, then I'm not sure what the point is of anything, really. And, <laughs> and I know like we've already talked about how we need to kind of look at this offense and look at what's going on and really think about what it is. But man, if they can't push the ball down the field against Atlanta, if they can't gain chunk yards, then like we need to seriously look at just every aspect of what's going on and something will actually need to change instead of it just being talked about. Agreed. And to me, that this was probably the most frustrating part of, especially the New Orleans and Philadelphia games. Those are teams where we said the exact same thing. They have bad secondaries. Everybody is going down the field on them. And the Giants made absolutely no attempt to attack down the field until they absolutely had to. When they were desperate, the game was out of hand and furiously trying to make a comeback. Then they looked down the field, but before that, they never challenged the coverage. They never looked down the field. And they made bad secondaries look great. That's the real crazy thing. The Giants have done an incredible job at making bad secondaries look good this year. The Saints haven't been able to stop anyone but the Giants. The Eagles were susceptible to big plays, especially Jalen Mills. The Giants barely went after him until really late in the game when it was, again, already out of control. So, and if they're not taking shots against Atlanta and Washington's next week and then the bye, and, you know, that might be... The time we see, you know, some kind of change, whether it's at quarterback or I just, I don't know, it's just something. Yeah. And just probably tangent to that is the frustrating part of looking at the roster and you see players like Evan Ingram, which granted he has been dealing with that knee sprain, but still he's there now and he was there earlier in the season. You see Odell Beckham and you see Saquon Barkley and This is an offense that has been built to just pummel defenses with haymakers, and they're not. Light jabs. Love taps, almost. They have no follow-throughs, yeah. We we don't want to look too far ahead, but Washington is the fourth best defense right now in preventing big plays, and... So I think there's, again, a lot of problems here. I think one thing we can try to look at is is trying to figure out what the Giants are doing with play action. They are one of the worst teams at running play action this year. So if you look at this, they have only run play action on 20% of their plays, which is 23rd highest rate. They have 6.8 yards per play 
on play action passes, which is 24th. They have 6.7 yards per play on non-play action passes, which is actually 16th. Teams should be able to completely kill on play action. There are 16 teams in the league that average more than 8 yards per play on play action passes. Only four teams average eight yards per play on non-play action passes. And as I've written about a bunch, you don't need a good running game to run play action effectively. You need a good play action game to run play action effectively. And you would think even if you subscribe to the idea that it takes a good running game, you put Saquon Barkley in the backfield... Teams should be honing in on him, but they're not. And the Giants have just have not been able to take advantage of something that is pretty much a cheat code for almost every other team in the league. So they're just not running play action well. And, and that's another part that's really holding the offense back. It is. And it's surprising because of the, the West Coast offense roots of this system. And going back to Bill Walsh, he said straight out that if you're going to attack down the field you use play action because it is the easiest way to get there the safest way to get there because if you do it even just competently defenses have to respect it it's built into their dna and linebackers have can't just completely disrespect the possibility of a run Right. Linebackers are trained to watch the offensive linemen, and if the offensive linemen are selling a run well, the linebackers are going to react to the run. It doesn't matter if there's been passes for the past, like, 10 or 15 plays. If it looks like there's going to be a run, the linebackers are going to try to stop the run. And... One of the craziest things about what's going on is play action is how well Shermer ran it in Minnesota last year. They were first in the percentage of plays with play action. It was 30%. They had 8.4 yards per play on play action, which was seventh. So Minnesota was a real good play action team last year, and Shermer has now run it less often, and it's a little harder to run when you're trailing because you don't run as often. So the idea of selling a run doesn't work as well. But also, you could still run it more because the Giants are still running the ball. So I'm a little confused of, of why the play action is not working well. And I think that's something the Giants really need to fundamentally fix. Because like for most offenses in the league right now, Play action is free yards, and the Giants are not taking them. It's just one of many things. Maybe defenses have figured out that they don't have to respect the Giants' offensive line, so they're not telling their linebackers to, or they're maybe actively telling their linebackers to not crash, to hold off and wait. But with Barkley there, you never know when he's going to make a defensive lineman look silly and take off. So it's one of many weird and confusing things that should not happen yet are constantly. Yeah, that's pretty much the story of the New York Giants season. Yeah. But so, I, I think if we if we look at that the offensive line, I mean, that's something we have to continually talk about all the time. It's something that's going to have to hold up. Atlanta has not been great at generating defensive pressure. They're no. only 25th in defensive pressure rate, which 
not good. They have some, you know, decent pass rushers. They have attack McKinley. He is going to he is going to eat one of the Giants' offensive tackles at least once. He hmm. he comes from all over, and he is fast and powerful, and that's a tough combination for these guys. Vic Beasley actually, uh, per Sports Info Solutions, leads the team in pressures. He was a guy who led the league in sacks two years ago, kind of disappeared last year with dealing with health and some other things. But while you know Adrian Claiborne and, and Tack McKinley came up last year, and they were Atlanta's pass rush, and again, the pass rush wasn't that great last year, but Beasley again leading the team in pressures now Atlanta let Adrian Claiborne go uh, in the offseason he's now in New England and has more pressures than anyone on Atlanta does so there's pretty much any defensive line the potential for a breakout is always there against the Giants yes no one was really JJ Watt was good but he had his, yeah, I'm still J.J. Watt game against the Giants. So that could easily be the case against Atlanta here, even though to this point, rushing the passer has not been their strength. No, Beasley only has one sack on the season right now, so there's the distinct possibility he will get healthy, as it were, against either Nate Solder or Chad Wheeler. They do move uh, McKinley around. I've seen him rush from left side right side defensive tackle wherever so that's something that that we and the giants will have to keep track of yeah mckinley has six quarterback hits that leads the team four and a half sacks so when he's getting to the quarterback he is converting another thing we'll have to watch is grady jarrett up the middle i'm not sure enough people talk about him he's become like one of the best defensive tackles in the league. He's already got four quarterback hits, but no sacks. Those are going to come. When you look at sacks per quarterback hit, you usually convert around like 40% of them. And when you're either well above or well below that, it's going to regress and even out. So the sacks are probably coming for Grady Jarrett. And again, that could just be something that he's waiting for Monday night to do. (laughs) So I think that probably covers the offensive side of the ball. There's, again, so many things to watch there. So many pieces that could go one way, but might not. It's another thing where it's just who knows what it's going to be until we see it. And hopefully we see what we're hoping for, but who knows. But as we shift to the defensive side of the ball, the Giants are going to have to defend against an offense that's been pretty good. It has been able to gain yards and score pretty much at will. Atlanta is fifth in yards per drive on offense. They're sixth in points per drive. The Giants are 24th in yards allowed per drive and 26th in points allowed per drive. So, yeah, that's a bit of a mismatch there. Uh, Definitely. And it does give us the chance, though, to talk about the curious case of Julio Jones. He is absolutely mystifying as a receiver. He's probably the most athletically freaky wide receiver in the NFL today, especially since uh, Calvin Johnson retired. But while he can just gash defenses between the 20s, as soon as they get in the red zone, he disappears. He doesn't have a touchdown this year. He only had three all of last year. You know what? I know that's been made a big deal, but 
in reality, it doesn't really matter. He already has 708 receiving yards. Again, he's he's catching things at will. He does. I suppose it's more curious why he doesn't get used as much in the red zone as their other targets. Yeah, that's something that's going to you know continually be a question. It is strange, but it's less strange when the offense is actually clicking in the red zone now. Last year, you could have made a much bigger deal about this when Atlanta wasn't particularly good in the red zone and they still weren't using Julio Jones. But True. right now... Atlanta is 8th in points per red zone trip. They're 5th in touchdowns per red zone trip. So they're figuring out how to score, and whether that involves Julio Jones or not has really not been an issue so far this year. No, and so far their best score has been the rookie Calvin Ridley. You know, he's well tied with Mohamed Sanu for 3rd in receptions, but he leads the team with 6 touchdowns. And he's he has been getting them from all over the field, either long breakaway touchdown catch and runs or doing work in the red zone while teams are looking at Mohamed Sanu and Julio Jones. Right. They're, they're going to have a way, and I, th- I think I'm going to try to have a piece probably on Monday before this game of what the Giants could learn from Atlanta in the red zone. And, man, that's where the Giants are right now, where they're, we're hoping they can take lessons in the red zone from the Falcons. But they have gotten much better in, in play calling. They're coming out wide. They're using route combinations that open guys up. They're using running backs coming out with with wide receivers, and that puts stress on the defense. And uh, Ridley's had a couple of really nice plays there. So they just they know their talent, they know what they're good at, and they're able to score. But also, this is going to be quite a matchup here, especially in the red zone when we look at that, because as much as the Giants have allowed teams to kind of gain yards at will, um, they've been able to play well in the red zone. They are 10th in points allowed per red zone trip on defense and 7th in touchdowns allowed per red zone trip on defense. And again, like we've talked about, as you go through a larger sample, the red zone stats are more likely to look like the other 80-yard stats than the other way around so again that's something that might change and Atlanta might be able to take advantage of but we'll see whether the Giants can stop Atlanta from scoring points when they're close yeah that well they'll have to they're probably not going to be able to stop them from moving the ball at will too many weapons too many explosive weapons you know their receiving core is far deeper than the Giants secondary they're probably going to have to really dedicate resources to keeping Jones and Sanu in check, which will just naturally open up Ridley and Austin Hooper and, uh, sorry, running back Ito Smith, Tevin Coleman, guys like those those secondary options. The Giants aren't really going to have anybody left to cover them. Yeah, and I think one thing we can definitely monitor as we go into this game is Calvin Ridley and Mohamed Sanu were held out of practice. They're still likely to play, but we'll we'll see. It's the same thing as Evan Ingram and uh, Rhett Ellison were both held out of practice on Wednesday, but they have they have been 
doing some more drills and and they look like they're set to play so maybe it's not too big of a deal but something we can watch those are their second and third receivers who didn't practice in the middle of the week again it's a game on monday so those practice reports mean a little less than if the game was on sunday atlanta that's what they can do they can they can spread you out and throw to absolutely anyone on the field at any time. Devontae Freeman is out for the year, but Ito Smith has been a good pass-catching running back when he's played. Tevin Coleman is a really good pass-catching running back. Austin Hooper has, he's had 22 targets over the past two games, and he is a very good receiver when he gets a chance. He doesn't always get a chance because those other receiving options usually take precedent in the offense. Atlanta is just hard to cover because while you focus on Julio Jones, so many other options can beat you just as easily. Yeah, and they make use of them. And yeah, they... what what a what a crazy idea. Amazing. And they're really good about finding those opportunities and creating those opportunities. They change formations. They move guys around. They'll play Julio Jones out of the slot. They'll go from a bunch formation to a full empty set spread. And it's really effective. If there's one upside is that the Falcons are not great at running the ball. Right, yeah, they've struggled there. They are 30th in rushing DVOA, 6th uh, in passing. But as we know, and as we've said on this podcast many times, and something I will continue to repeat, passing way more efficient than running. So when you can throw the ball to gain yards and score points, uh, you're just going to keep doing that. And that is completely fine. And I think that's something we're going to see Atlanta do. I don't think they're going to waste a lot of time running the ball if they can't. Uh, right now, Atlanta is the eighth most pass-heavy team in the league, just overall. So I, I, don't, I don't know if they're going to spend a lot of time wasting their time trying to establish the run when they can just throw it down the defensive throats and, and gain yards and score that way. And when you have two cornerbacks on the outside, like the Giants do, who are struggling right now, that is, it, it's not going to be hard to throw. So when we look at Janoris Jenkins right now among 65 qualified cornerbacks, is 40th in yards allowed per pass and 45th in success rate. So Eli Apple, who's returned, he had a really good first couple weeks of the season. But again, like we talked about, that was against like Dante Moncrief and the weird collection of Cowboys wide receivers. <laughs> uh, so now after like those first couple games, he's now all the way down to 34th in yards allowed per pass and 31st in success rate among those 65 qualified cornerbacks. And over the past couple games, he's been picked on. Um, Philly picked on him a whole bunch in that Thursday night game. So we'll see where Atlanta goes there if they try to pick on him again with Sanu and Ridley, whoever is going to be on the outside in a given play. And maybe just they 
throw to Julio all the time with Jenkins covering him because he hasn't been great at covering number one receivers this year. The Giants are 27th against number one receivers by DVOA. So, man, Atlanta just has a lot of places where they match up well on defense. So if they're not running the ball well, I could see them barely trying to run the ball at all uh, and just throwing at will because they probably can. Yeah, and this could be a game where we see the Giants' pass rush start to get home again. Uh, It'll be Olivier Vernon's second game back. Uh, He's had 10 days to kind of rest and recover from that first game back from high ankle sprain. And Atlanta is not great at protecting Matt Ryan. Now, they're very pass-happy, which means defenses have a lot of opportunities. But he's still taken a fair amount of hits. Atlanta is 19th right now in pressure rate allowed on offense. The Giants starting to to come alive a little bit in the pass rush area. I mean, Olivier Vernon definitely added to that against Philly. Right now, the Giants are 19th in defensive pressure rate. Adding Vernon gives you know someone the opposing offense really needs to take account of and that should open up some other things you know in the middle of the line it'll open up some things for the secondary pass rushers you know who were the primary pass rushers in the early part of the season so we'll see and yeah if there is a part where the Giants could have an advantage on the defensive side of the ball. It's probably with Vernon and trying to establish that pass rush because the secondary against the wide receivers, and that's not something where you can expect them to hold up and succeed often. So the pass rush is going to have to get home if if they have a shot. Definitely. And it will be interesting to see how much we see of BJ Hill and Lorenzo Carter. When I was looking at ways the Giants could kind of slap some duct tape on their defense and maybe make a mid-in-season improvement, I think playing those guys more would be one of the things they should look at. We've seen Hill have success, maybe a little bit more fits and starts, but he is a much better athlete than his size and usage in college would suggest we saw him get a sack get a lot of pressure against houston both from the defensive tackle position and as a defensive end and lorenzo carter his athleticism just speaks for itself and the giants need to figure out a way to just unleash it yeah all four more bj hill snaps however they can figure out how to do that definitely on board for that he's probably been one of their better defensive players this season which is not saying too much no uh, if, if we're being uh completely honest but yeah that i think that defensive line is going to have to dominate uh, just because if if you're given matt ryan time and we've we haven't even like mentioned matt ryan He's been really good. I know he can occasionally be easy to ignore, even though he won an MVP award. But Matt Ryan has been really good. And if if you let him sit back there, he's going to find the right option. He's going to find a big option. And that's not the way to, to stop the Atlanta offense. So they definitely need to get pressure. And that, 
uh, that's is probably their only chance. Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised to see James Betcher just go all out on the attack. You know, their concerns in the secondary, the outright problem in the middle of the field at the free safety position. You know, those are not good for a heavy uh, blitz heavy defense, but if your cover guys aren't going to be successful covering, you might as well send him after the quarterback and hope that you can rush his process, move him off of his spot, hopefully get him on the ground or somehow force a mistake. Yeah, that's going to be the key. We will definitely see that. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Giants be a little more blitz-heavy than they have been already. So I think we can end it there. We've pretty much hit all the key points you can look for on Monday night. Thank you guys for listening. If you have not subscribed yet, you can do that anywhere you find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Google Play. I don't know what that's called anymore. Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you can subscribe you can rate and review also uh, leave leave a review let us know what you think of the podcast uh, that would be nice we would like to hear from you what we can do better what would you like to hear more of please let us know we will be back i guess on tuesday after the monday night game those the times of these games are, are still screwing me up thankfully we'll we'll go back to a sunday after this game so we'll be back on tuesday to recap the monday night game against atlanta Till then, thanks for hanging out, and we'll talk to you again soon. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.